it's almost the holidays. In fact, some people have already, I went to Walmart and I think they had Christmas decorations out before. I'm thinking, man, they're getting way out ahead of me. Uh, but uh, it, this year has just flown by. Uh, and a lot of good things have happened, and, and God's doing great things. This Dandor project is thrilling to me. Let me just say this. Uh, in a few weeks, I'll have a, a, some more information for you, but we're, if God allowing us, we're going to continue this emphasis even after we get uh, our $26,000 because September of 2013, really the end of September, 1st of October, right about a year from now, uh, we will be taking a team to Dandora, Kenya, to Nairobi and be able to stay on the compound there with Jennifer and David. It's like heaven on earth inside those walls uh, and be able to minister in the slums of Kimira and, and all around Nairobi and, and minister in the churches and then uh, go to Dandora and dedicate this church building. Now, uh, you just, man, I'm telling you, that would be a trip of a lifetime. And Jim, I just, t- Beverly leaned over to me and said, Jim and Trish ought to go to Kenya. Uh, so I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord, but oh my goodness. And uh, where's Ashley, Vince and Ashley? Are you saving your money? Come on, I want you to go to, uh, uh, she's, there you go. She's already ready. And, and so you understand it could cost thirty-two dollars to $3,500 all inclusive. So you need to, need to start saving your pennies and nickels now. That's about $300 a month uh, from now until then. So, uh, hey, let's believe God. Wouldn't it be great if we could take 10 or 15 people from our church uh, on, on a missions trip of a lifetime? Not only will, be, will we be ministering in all those areas for over a week, but we're going to close out uh, and get some R&R out in the, uh, the Maasai Mara on a safari. So... It's a little bit of heaven on on earth out there. And so, wow, Beverly's got the joy of being able to go and minister and see all of that. And so we would love for you to go as well. And so that's our emphasis uh, um, up until next year. So a lot of great things coming up in the future. We're jumping back into the series called Uncharted Waters, Navigating Your Way into God's Perfect Plan. This morning, I'm thrilled to, I'm telling you, I don't normally do 12-week series, but this thing ignited in me, and it is not dying in me. It's getting, you know, and we're we're talking about 12, uh, we're given 12 life lessons of spiritual progress. I think I'll be done at 12, Uh, and so we're on number 10 today that I'll share with you in a moment, but I'm telling you, God is just alive in me concerning this theme and and our verse uh, where we kind of get the the idea of this passage is, or, or this uh, series is from the book of Joshua and the children of Israel, especially as the children of Israel are right up to the River Jordan, just about to cross over into the promised land, having had wandered in the wilderness for 40 days. Come on, 40 years. Somebody say 40 years, preacher. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, how many of you caught that, but you're just afraid to correct me from your seed? Okay, <laughs> all right. Uh, and so now they're about to obtain the promises of God. And here's what Joshua 3 says. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from the Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. Uh, and now look down at verse 4. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, speaking of the Ark of the Covenant, 
which is the manifest presence of God, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Look at your neighbor and say, we have not passed this way before. You see, God wants us to know the way that we should go. He does not want us to be in the dark about our destiny. He doesn't want us to be wandering around in a cloud, wondering, uh, or in a fog, going, which way do I go, which way do I go? He wants to direct our path into his perfect plan. Now, it's uncharted waters from our standpoint, but certainly not from God's. Because he's passed this way before, and he has a plan for our life. Look at your neighbor, somebody around you, say, God has a real plan for your life. He really does. We've got to learn these lessons that we're sharing with you in order to navigate our way into God's perfect plan for our life. And so that's what we've been sharing. And in fact, I've told you every time I've been here uh, talking about this, that these life lessons will do three things. They'll lift the burden of the unknown off your life. In fact, this morning, you're going to find some real clarity about your future today, I believe. They not only lift the burden of the unknown off your life, but these life lessons will lighten the load of unrighteous living. How many of you could use a little more lightening of the load? You know, uh, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says we ought to look unto Jesus, but it says in verse 1, as we're looking unto Jesus, we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus and realizing that, hey, the more we keep our eyes on him, the lighter the load gets because he will help us carry uh, and he carried it for us on Calvary's cross. Not only will they lighten the load, these life principles, that they'll, they'll lead you into God's uh, unwavering promise and purpose for your life. And so I pray that you've been finding some direction in your life and beginning to get some clarity. In fact, today, I really believe today is going to be good for all of us. And so look at your neighbor and say, hey, let's go. It's going to be good for us. Amen. Let's go. Let's get ready. Here we go. Uh, uh, today, let me just forego the going through all the ones that I've shared with you. Uh, we're on number 10 today. And this is the life lesson number 10 for your spiritual progress from the life of Joshua and the children of Israel. It is this. Yes, clarity of vision. Everyone say clarity of vision. You see, if you're going to make your way into God's perfect plan for your life, you know, it seems like it would go without saying that you need to be able to have some spiritual insight and some clarity about God's purpose and plan for your life. Amen. And I believe today God's going to begin to blow away some of the fog and bring some clarity to our life so we can begin to discover and navigate our way into God's perfect plan for our life. I think about Moses in Exodus chapter 3 and 4, and I would encourage you to read those chapters again where God took Moses. It goes from his early birth history where he was hidden in the bulrushes and he became, uh, you know, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter found him in there and she raised him as her own and he became, the, you know, uh, right there in Pharaoh's court. Uh, and, and it says about him uh, that after, uh, he, after he was about 40 years old, he slew an Egyptian because he saw him beating upon an Israelite and he had to flee to the wilderness. And there he met Jethro and married his wife and served him for 40 years. And then lo and behold, he comes upon the burning bush. And after 40 years of just, you know, serving your father-in-law, what do you do for a living? 
Well, I watch my father-in-law's sheep. I mean, ah, that sounds exciting. Uh, he has a revelation of God's plan for his life. God begins to speak to him. And so I want you to read that in Exodus 3 and 4 and how it, it took him some real effort and energy to be able to embrace and wrap his arms around and wrap his brain around and his life around the vision of God for his life. And so God gave him clarity of vision. I believe he wants to do that for us as well. You know the passage of Scripture. We quote it. Anytime you talk about vision, you have to, you have to quote Proverbs 28, uh, 19, I believe it is. What does it say? It's 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Everyone say that. Where there is no vision, the people perish. A little kind of broader understanding of that. Where there is no prophetic revelation, no God directive over your life. The people are unrestrained or ungoverned or unguided, and therefore they perish. You get it? When you get a hold of the prophetic revelation of God for your life, it brings governance and guidance and direction to your life, and, and it navigates you and, and moves you into God's plan for your life. I, I think about Moses. I think about Joshua. He operated under the prophetic revelation of God for his life. And, and even though he had to wander in the wilderness with those other knotheads who did not have a prophetic word from God over their life, they didn't embrace God's prophetic word for their life. And as a result, what happened to those who rebelled against God's plan uh, there, they died in the wilderness. First King, pardon me, First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says, But with most of them, speaking of the children of Israel, he was not well pleased because they were overthrown in the wilderness. Why were they overthrown in the wilderness? They never embraced God's purpose and plan for their life. In fact, they were always looking back to Egypt. But Joshua and Caleb, they lived under the prophetic revelation of God for their life. And that prophetic revelation moved them into God's purpose and plan for their life. And that's what God wants to do for us today. Look at your neighbor and say, that's what God wants to do for you. He really does. He wants to speak to us. He wants to open our eyes, give us clarity of vision. And so this morning, I want to give you some kind of build a little foundation for you when you think about vision and direction for your life. Let me give you three important thoughts today that you and I need to embrace. And then I'm going to give you two big ideas about vision for your life. But let, let's build a little foundation. What are we talking about when we talk about vision? We're talking about God-given vision. Somebody say God-given vision. It's not just what I want, it's what he wants. And I'm telling you today, God has a plan. He has a vision for your life. And, and I think of Paul the Apostle. God, God got him on the road to Damascus. And, you know, a, a light shined. And he sp God spoke to him and turned his life around and gave him a vision and a direction for, for his life. And from that moment on, he began to follow after Pardon me. The God-given vision for his life. That's what God wants to do for all of us today. You say, well, pastor, is God going to, you know, uh, smite me with a, a light from above? Maybe. I don't know. I believe God's given us the Holy Spirit in our heart today. He began to speak to us. In fact, we'll see that in a little bit, that the Holy Spirit will help guide us and direct us into all truth. But the vision that we have for our life needs to be God-given. Everybody say God-given. In fact, I'm, 
this passage, I started to bypass it, but let me just, let me just jump over there to second Timothy just for a moment. This, this, this vision from God, this is what Paul's telling Timothy about his life in verse nine. He said, he saved us and called us with a holy calling. Man, that's God given vision, right? You see, God didn't save you just to get you to heaven. I got, I think I got one right and maybe some, I think so's. God didn't save you just to get you to heaven. He saved you because he had a purpose and a plan for your life oh, in this life. Amen. Look what he says. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Somebody say amen. Because if he called us according to how good we were or how blessed, you know, how good we, we'd all be in trouble. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he, which, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Somebody say before time began. Before time began, God had a plan for your life. It's God-given. Everyone say it's got to be God-given. Number two, the vision that God wants to give us has to be long-distance vision. Somebody say long-distance. Most people, all they see is right in front of them. But God wants to begin to give us a little more of a binocular perspective about life. And be able to see the big picture. You know, I don't have this capacity on my phone because I haven't upgraded, but the new iPhone, if you got the new one or you upgrade, if you have the 4S, I think, you can take a panoramic picture. You just, instead of one little snapshot, you go, hey, how's it going? Everybody doing good? Everybody taking a picture? Man, you can take a panoramic picture and then let off and you get this big, huge, wide panoramic perspective. Not just a snapshot. Now let me explain something to you about a lot of people and their life. Some event, probably a negative one or even maybe a positive one, created a snapshot in your life about who you are and what you ought to be. Or who you're not and who you'll never be. Maybe a failure, maybe a mistake, maybe a traumatic moment in your life. It's a snapshot. And all we do in life is look at life through that lens. That one snapshot. And we have no long distance perspective. All we can see is what has happened in our life or where we are right now or the pain we're going through right now or the trouble we're going through right now. Let me tell you something. That will, that will keep you from God's best for your life. And so the vision that he wants to give us is a long distance vision. In fact, it says this uh, about uh, uh, the children of Israel and really about our, the forefathers of our faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, it says a lot of them died in faith, not having seen with their natural eyes the promise, but having seen it afar off, embraced it, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in the earth. In other words, even though they couldn't see what they were believing God for, they had a long distance vision and trusted and believed in it and had confidence in it and could see it before they ever saw it. Are you with me? Say amen. You know, my friend, the, uh, the, the apostle of this church, Dr. Ron Hammonds, he says, don't judge your success or your failures on a daily basis. Don't just look at, the, at your life every day and go, 
Uh, maybe so, maybe not. What was he saying? Get a long distance perspective. You know, if I judge my success pastorally, let, let me, let me, let me get a panoramic shot of today. Hey, empty seats. I see a lot of empty seats. Oh gosh, I see empty seats. Oh mercy, there's one happy face. But oh, it's empty seats. Oh man, I today, I just today, I took a snapshot. I've been here. How long? Sixteen years. Just about sixteen years. And I got empty seats. Oh, woe is me. I think I ought to give up and just fish full time. That's. That does sound appealing, that, that part. But how many of you know, if I did that, I would forget about all the people whose lives have been changed over the past 16 years. I would forget about the fact that, that my girls met their husbands here in this area, and now they've given me three great grand, or three grandkids. They're great grandkids to me, but they're just grandkids. I would forget about the many teenagers whose lives got changed and children who are now adults whose lives have been transformed because of the ministry of... I would forget about the 250-something or 230-something water wells we've drilled in Mexico through the ministry of this church and Agua Resources. I would forget that we've made a big difference all over the world if I took a snapshot of just today. And you don't judge your success on a daily basis. You have a long-distance perspective. So the vision that God wants to give us, it's God-given, and it's got to be long-distance. Amen? What if Peter had taken a snapshot of the day, he, 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 uh, and he almost did, when he denied the Lord? He started going backwards to the old life and thank God for his mercy and grace. How God came and picked him up and said, hey, don't, don't take a snapshot of, of your failure here. Listen, uh, uh, hey, I, I still have a call on your life. And God was able to give him a clarity of vision. And he got back in the race and he, began, and he fulfilled God's purpose for his life. I think of Elijah. Now, Elijah, this guy was awesome. Elijah, if you lived... I, you know, I'm kind of glad I live in the New Testament days because the Old Testament, it was a bloody battle experience. Elijah, he slaughtered 400 prophets of Baal with his, by himself. I'm telling you, called down fire from heaven, consumed the sacrifices of Baal, slaughtered the, eradicated Baal worship off the face of the earth. And he's just a, he's just a prophetic wild man. And Jezebel threatens him. I'm going to do the same thing to you that you did to them. And something got under his skin. And he ran to the, away from God. And he found himself in the cave. And the Spirit of the Lord came to him trying to snap him out of his depression. And three times God says, hey, basically this is the context. Don't take a snapshot of this moment right here. There's 400, hey, there's 5,000 people who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. But you know what? Elijah couldn't get, he could not get that out of his head. And you know the next thing God tells him to do? Okay, get up. Let's go find your successor. You, my friend, are done. Why? Because something got into him about that moment. And he lost his long-distance perspective. Everyone say, it's got to be God-given. Everybody say, it's got to be long-distance. 
And number three, it has to be Christ-centered. Christ has to be the center of this vision. And it goes without saying, if it's God-given, it has to be Christ-centered. But I threw that in because a lot of people say, well, God gave me this vision. And, but then when you begin to look at it, Christ is not the centerpiece of that vision. That's why we see in Hebrews where it talks about us running our race and we run our race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What did we read in, in, jo- in Joshua 6, uh, pardon me, Joshua 3? It says that, that, that they keep your eye on the Ark of the Covenant, which was the manifest presence of God. For us today, it's Jesus Christ. We keep our eyes upon him. And so this vision that God wants to give us and birth within us and clarify for us, it's God-given, long-distance, Christ-centered vision. And let me just say, if Christ is not the center of the vision and the direction of your life, you are moving, my friend, in the wrong direction. That was worthy of repeating. If Christ, listen carefully, is not the center of your life and the center of the direction of your life and, and, and the focal point of your life, you are moving in the wrong direction. And so I came to, to clarify some things today. Everybody do this. Oh, yeah. I'm going to clarify some things today about the direction of our life. This will help move you into God's perfect plan for your life. And so it's got to be God-given. It's got to be long distance. And it must be Christ-centered. Now, with that in mind, and don't forget those three things ever. With that in mind, let me give you two big ideas about this vision. The first one is this. Here it is. Our God-given, long-distance, Christ-centered vision for our future is limited or launched by how we view some things. Now, this is very important. When you look at the children of Israel and you, and you draw a contrast between the children of Israel and, for example, Joshua and Caleb, when they got there in Numbers uh, 13 and 14, the first time to, to the, uh, uh, the River Jordan to cross over in a matter of weeks into the Promised Land, their perspectives about some things were completely different. And I'm going to share with you three things about that, that if you view these three things correctly, it will launch you into God's plan for your life. And if you view them incorrectly, it will limit you in your capacity to get where God wants you to be. So this is very important. Amen. So here we go. Our vision, our God-given, long-distance, Christ-centered vision is either limited or launched by how we view, number one, our God. How we view God. Now, turn quickly to, to Numbers. You, you're, if you're in Joshua, just take a, go back to Numbers 13 and 14. And here's the first time they came up to the River Jordan. Now, the children of Israel, who had just been delivered out of Egyptian bondage by a miracle from God. Now, you also need to understand, though I won't validate for you the scripture, they not only left Egypt, but they took all the gold and the blessings of Egypt with them. They looked like, every one of them looked like Mr. T personified. They had bling bling all over. I'm talking about, I am blessed, I am blessed. Every day of my life, I am blessed. And they didn't make it up to the, to the, the Red Sea before they started questioning God. 
And then we see them up against the River Jordan just a few short weeks later. Look at their perspective about God in Numbers 14. When they, the spies went in and they saw the giants that were in the land, it says they complained, verse 1 of chapter 14. They, they complained, they wept, they cried. And it says in th- verse 3, Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? It would have been better if we would return to Egypt. You know what they just said? God does not have our best interests at heart. They had a false belief about God. They they looked at the giants and they said, God just brought us out to here to kill us. He does not have our best interests at heart. My friend, understand something. If you believe that about God, you will never arrive into the destiny of God for your life. Now, conversely, Joshua and Caleb, look over in verse 8. They were trying to snap them out of this, but to no avail. They said, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land, (coughs) pardon me, and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread, our protection, uh, and their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. What did Joshua and Caleb believe? They believed God was with them, that he's going to help them. That's who God is. He has my best interest at heart. He's my biggest fan. He loves me very much. He brought me out of bondage and he's bringing me into the promised land. Glory to God. That kind of perspective about God will launch you into the will of God for your life. But if you're always second guessing God, well, maybe he's just trying to punish me. Maybe he's this, maybe he's that. Maybe he really doesn't have my best interest at heart. Maybe it was better if I just go back to Egypt. My friend, that will limit God's plan and purpose for your life. So our vision, our God-given, long-distance, Christ-centered vision is limited or launched by how we view our God. Number two, our vision is limited or launched by how we view not only our God, but ourselves. Our perspective about ourselves. Now let's go all the way back to Moses for a moment. You know what Moses' first big issue was with the vision and the purpose of God for his life? To go in and deliver the children of Israel? I can't do that. I got a problem with how I talk. You better get somebody else. Read in Exodus 3 and 4. God got angry with it. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you. You, like a big baby, whisper to Aaron, and Aaron will be the voice. How silly is that? Oh, by the way, there's never any place that I could find where that actually happened. Somewhere along the way, Moses got it. And he realized, hey, God made me this way. That's what God said. Who's made the lame, the blind, the infirm? I made you with a stuttering tongue, so when you get up and prophesy, I can touch it, and everybody knows it's God. Are you with me? And so Moses had to deal with that himself. He had issues with his self-perception. He, he had, a, he had a, an inferiority complex about himself. 
And, and so as a result, God had to deal with that in his life. And look here at the children of Israel. They had an issue with themselves. They started looking at the giants and they said in verse, oh gosh, 30, uh, they're all whining and complaining. And it says, uh, verse 30, Caleb quieted the people. This is chapter 13. Of, of numbers, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession of it for we are well able to overcome it. How many of you know, Caleb had a positive perspective about who he was in Christ. If we would, for our context, we're, we're well able to do it. But the men, look what he says, who have gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we look in verse 33. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. Did you get that? Their perspective about themselves. I'm just a little bug in God's cosmic plan. That some giant of Anak is going to stomp upon. I'm just a bug. Man. Hey, you're better than a bug. Look at your name and say, we're much better than bugs. We're better than the birds, the Bible says. If he takes care of the birds, how much better is he going to take care of us? But look, they had a negative perspective of themselves. Well, pastor, my mom always told me I'd never be good for nothing. Yeah, you're right. I got this inferiority complex and people tell me I ain't no good for nothing and I'm this, I'm that. And I, I've just got to believe it all my life. And so therefore I can't do that preacher. I messed up. And oh, we have this perspective about ourselves. Hey, he wants to show up in the middle of your life and show himself glorious and powerful. But if all we can see is how terrible we have been or how pathetic we are, we'll never get where God wants us to be. Amen. How we view ourselves. I'm a child of the king, bless God. I'm better than a bug. I'm better than the birds. I'm a child of God. In fact, he loved me so much he sent his son to die for me. Paid a great price so I could be born again and become his child. I'm no longer on my way to hell. I'm on my way to heaven. Somebody say amen. That's who I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a king's kid, glory to God. You see, how we view ourselves either limits or launches us into God's plan for our life. And then number three, our vision that we have is either limited or launched by how we view our adversaries. Oh, and this is clear as a bell. You saw it here. Oh, they're giants. We are not able. They're bigger than us. We're grasshoppers. And you know what uh, uh, Caleb and Joshua said? Hey, we're able to go up and take. In fact, you know what they're going to be? It says over in, oh gosh, what verse? It says they're going to be like bread to us in verse 9. We're going to just eat them up like a meal. They're nothing to us. Hey, because God's given us the land, who cares what they look like? Because God has given us the land and our adversaries will fall before us because God is for us. If God be for us, who can be against us? No, no, no. Are you with me? Say amen. Now, this snapshot of this PowerPoint slide, you need to get this right here. If you don't get this, help me, Jesus. We got to get this. If we got a flawed perspective about God, we got to fix that. 
If we got a flawed perspective about ourselves and always just digging around in the basement, digging holes and going, woe is me. And, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. Not me, not now. Uh, hey, we got to fix that. If we're looking at our enemies and just get all fearful and we realize, hey, th- you know what that is? It's a lack of faith and we just don't believe God is for us. Number one, our vision, our God-given, Christ-centered, long-distance vision is limited or launched by how we view our God, ourselves, and our adversaries. And so we've got to get those areas fine-tuned, moving in the right direction. And then number two, the second big idea is this. Our God-given, long-distance, Christ-centered vision for the future is limited or launched by our ability to stay or remain focused. I know that's hard for some of us. I've got a little ADD in me. How many have got a little bit of ADD in you? Okay, we all got a little bit of ADD. We can take a pill or Jesus can heal us. I don't care. But as long as we get focused on God's purpose and plan for our life and remain focused. Everybody say, you got to remain focused. One of the biggest deals with the devil is not to get you to even mess up. His biggest deal is just to distract you. Now, if he can distract you, he can ultimately destroy you. Sure, but he doesn't really care. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. But if he can just distract you and get you out of focus with God's plan for your life, he can mark it up. I won that one. Let me just say this. It's not in my notes. There's a lot of God-loving people who are sitting in churches and pews today all over America and around the world who who believe they're doing their God-given duty by showing up to church, but their life is all out of focus. Listen, the vision of God for your life is much more than making it to church every once in a while. Amen? That was free. Now, Let's talk about focus. Let me just do an acrostic for you today. Give you some focal, some things to think about. The letter F in focus. There are, if you're going to stay focused, there's got to be a focal point. And we've already explained that. Jesus Christ. He's got to be the focal point of your life. Let us run with endurance. The race that is set before us. That's God's plan for our life. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. We've got to keep our eyes on the focal point of our life. I think about Peter. Remember when they were in the boat and, and they were, the storm came? Remember that? They're all rowing. And Jesus was still on the shore, and they're out in the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And oh, and it was getting rough. And all of a sudden, Jesus came walking on the water. And all the disciples, ooh, it's a ghost. And Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, just bid me to come to you on the water. I like that. Peter's kind of my hero. And Jesus said, okay, come. Peter didn't even roll up his pants leg. Well, they didn't have pants back then. He just jumped out of the boat. And you know what he did? I said, did you know what he did? He started doing what? Walking on the water. Everybody gets, gets on to him for sinking. But I want to know, but what, what about that other 11 sissies in the boat? 
The only time he began to sink was when he got his eyes off of Jesus. Could I tell you life? Every time. Everybody, everybody give me this one. Come on, get it up. Some of you do this about every day at work, somewhere, somewhere. You. By the way, don't do it to me. I'm like, I'll slap it off. I, it bothers me. But today in church, we're going to. Every time you and I get our eyes off of Jesus, we will begin to sink. Every time. Turn around and tell three people. Every time. Come on, tell them. Every time. Every time you and I get our eyes off of Jesus, we'll begin to sink. Every time. If we want to stay focused in God's purpose and plan for our life, we got to keep our eyes on the focal point. Amen. The letter O. Obedience. Obedience is a must. And let me just say about obedience. When you begin to get focused on Jesus and his purpose and plan for your life, there will always be the responsibility of obedience. And we see that with Joshua in Joshua chapter 1. He tells him two or three times, you've got to obey the word. You've got to obey what I'm telling you to do. You cannot disobey this. And let me tell you something. Here's about, let me tell you about disobedience. When you disobey God, things start getting cloudy and, and, and foggy in your life. But now catch this. Every time you obey God, whew, clarity. You obey him one day, God begins to give clarity. You obey him two days, more clarity. You obey him three days. You begin to build a life of obedience to God. The clarity of God for your future begins to unfold before you. Are you with me on that one? How many of you believe that one to be true? You gotta stay, if you're gonna stay focused, you gotta have a focal point and you gotta obey uh, him when he begins to speak to you. And he will begin to speak to you because we'll talk about this in a moment. He'll begin to give us directive on how we get from point A to point B and we've gotta obey that. What if, what if Joshua had sat on the side of the river and just confessed the promised land? All the children of Israel, million plus, sitting on the wrong side of the river going, we just confess it in the name of the Lord. We bind those giants in Jesus' name. No, they had to begin to obey. In fact, somebody in the holy priesthood had to be the first to put his foot in the middle of the river. Wouldn't you like to have been that one? He probably went, okay, guys, it's, it's, coast is clear. It's obedience. Keep you focused. There's a focal point. You've got to be obedient. The letter C is correction. The problem with the children of Israel, they could not receive correction. And let me tell you something about the focus of your life. Did you know your eyes are always constantly correcting? In fact, a number of years ago, I had LASIK surgery, and it corrected my, my eyesight. And, and uh, so uh, now I'm getting a little older, and it's maybe I need another operation. I don't know, but... But man, correct. Did you know in your spiritual life, in your spiritual vision, there has to always be moments of correction? Are you with me? Problem with the children of Israel? Wouldn't receive correction. Nope. Ain't gonna do it. Rebelling. That's why, that's why uh, uh, Joshua and Caleb said, hey, don't rebel here. Trying to bring correction. They didn't, they didn't get it. And they rebelled. 
And as a result, they were devoured by the sword. They were overthrown in the wilderness because they couldn't receive correction. In fact, if we go back to Hebrews 11, the faith chapter, and Hebrews 12, which we've talked about, let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Did you know the next few verses deal with correction? How God loves, He corrects those whom He loves? Who he has, who, who he has embraced as his children. And we gotta embrace the correction of God and allow him to help us and direct our life. Listen, some of us today, you may be off a little bit. All you need is a little correction. Did you know the definition of sin? Just simply, it's the Greek word is hamartia, which just simply means to miss the mark. You see, if you get within an inch of the mark, but you miss the mark, you miss the mark. Now think about God's plan for our life. Well, I, I got close. How many of you know that only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades? I would have laughed there, but that's just me. Being close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. Hey, we either hit the mark or we miss the mark. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come to the close of my life and God have to say, well, God bless you, come on in. You missed the mark. You never really fulfilled my plan for your life. You stumbled around and, and did a few good things. Come on, I, I, you're my child, but I had a plan for your life and you missed it. Why? Because you wouldn't let me correct you. Did you know the older we get, the harder it is to correct? In fact, when it comes to conviction of sin, the statistics are out. Old people are harder to get saved than young people. Harder to correct. So the longer we wait, the rustier we get. And the more independent-minded we become. And we say, well, it's my way or the highway. If we're going to stay focused, we've got to be we got to allow God to correct us. Amen. Everyone say focal point. Everyone say obedience. Everyone say correction. The letter U, unction. I'll move quickly. How many of you know the Bible says in, Josh, in John chapter 16, it says the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, he will lead us into all truth. We've got to have the Holy Spirit's help in our life. You know, Joshua and Caleb, they had the power of God operating in their life. You know, for us today, it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in our life. You cannot, listen, you cannot stay focused without Holy Spirit help. He's our helper, and he will help us stay focused on Jesus. He will lead us into all truth. There's got to be unction. And then the letter S is this, strategy. God wants to give us strategy. What do you look at, at Joshua's life? What did God do once he got his attention? And he, uh, Joshua began to focus on obeying the word of the Lord and yielding to the directive of God and the power of God in his life. God gave him strategy to get across the river and, and, and cause Jericho to fall. You see, God wants to give us strategy. Again, he speaks to us the directive of God to get us from point A to point B. God wants to give us clarity of vision for our future. Let's stand up today. Just for a moment, let me ask you this. I'm going to ask the ushers to begin to prepare our communion table today. But as they're doing that, let me just ask you this. How does life look to you? 
Do you have clarity of vision and purpose? Do you have a God-given, long-distance, Christ-centered vision for your life? Or is life a little foggy? Is life a little out of focus? Does it seem like the fog is rolled in and you're going, where am I? Today, God wants to clarify some things for you. He wants to clarify for you it's got to be God-given. It's got to be long-distance. and got to be Christ-centered. Let's bow our heads before the Lord.